Hey, this is uh, John Lim. We are kicking off season seven with my good friend Angelo Spinillo. And Angelo, you have just joined a rare club. You are one of the few three-peat guests that I've had on the podcast. So I was just thinking about this. You were on episode 10, way back when, when I just started this podcast. You were on episode 201, which was the holiday commentary on A Christmas Carol. And now this is your third appearance on the show. So how are you? I'm doing well, and I'm honored to be a to be a, a three Peter. That's uh, <laughs> right, two two seventy three. Uh, it's I, I've lost count. It's two seventy three. We're kicking it off, and I'm so happy you're on because first of all, I I'm excited to talk about your book, but second of all, just as a confession, I still haven't figured out what this season of the podcast is going to look like. So this is at least good filler <laughs> to get started <laughs> on the show. But uh, you know, Angelo, I mean, you and I have been friends for a long time. And uh, yeah. I just kind of, I was, you know, I'm a very nostalgic kind of guy. I think a lot about, you know, when I connect with someone, when I'm friends with someone for a long time, I think about all the different stages. Like you and I first met, and I'll never forget it. We met as transfer students at Georgetown. You remember that? I do. And the, uh, wasn't it the, the tour of the library? Yeah, it was a library tour that they invited the transfer students. Now, it was a pretty big transfer class. If I remember, there were like 80 transfer students that year. And then they offered all these uh, orientation programs, one of which was the library tour. And it was you, me, and Brian uh, Conradi, who was also a mutual friend of ours. We were the only three who showed up. I think so. (laughs) We were were the only nerds who wanted to see the library. You know, for me, it was like, Transferring to Georgetown, I think I was just so intimidated. I was like, oh my gosh, I transferred to Georgetown. Like I gotta really like step step it up. And so I felt like I was yep. already behind not knowing the library. So that's why I think I signed up for every kind of orientation tour there was. Yes. I think I saw you on most of them too. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't actually get to know each other until later. You know, one of the things I remember was being I don't know if this was the experience for you, but being a transfer student was hard because it was oh, like yeah. It's like, you know, when you're in graduate school, you make a lot of your friendships in the first year, especially in law school, because they usually divide you up into sections. And I had that from the law school I went from. But then you're just basically starting over, but you're starting over in the middle of the program. And and I remember it was hard for me. It was it was kind of a lonely fall because it's like I don't really know anybody, even though Mm -hmm. I transferred, you know, the East Coast is my home. It was weird for me. It was like, yeah, it's kind of a homecoming. I'm stepping it up. But at the same time, it's kind of like I'm really trying to find my way. It took me a while, actually, to to find like a core group of friends to really hang out with. How about you? Yeah, I, I think it was the same thing because, yeah, it's like you're the new kid. And then you go through that experience again, especially with law school, where you kind of build those bonds to, in your section yeah. that first year. Yeah. And and to kind of walk into the middle of that, and I've already done that, you really don't have anything in common with the first years, and the second years already have their groups in the first year. So you're, you're kind of just trying to find your way. But I think, for in my case, I think that that let me feel a little freer just to try a bunch of things that I, I had, would have never tried otherwise. So, oh, see, that's good. For um, me, yeah. I was just calling my friends back at my old school. and like, hey, how's it going? You guys miss me? Right. <laughs> Seriously, I was like, I'm so depressed. What's going on here? I don't have any friends. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what I'm missing out on. 
Yeah, well, and I guess for you, because you are from that area, see, so I hadn't really lived in the DC area. So for me, it was like, oh, okay, well, I have no friends and nothing to do on the weekend, but I could go to all these museums or I could go to all these, you know, take a walk around the monuments. So I kind of, I really seized the opportunity to be in a new place and really explore it until I eventually found, uh, you know, a few more people to hang out with besides myself. Yeah, well, for me, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually grew up in, in the Baltimore area. So D.C., I only knew from field trips. I had never lived okay. in the city before. And it's funny, you know, I didn't take advantage of all the, the museums and all the sightseeing stuff until much later. It, it, okay. In fact, I, I think I took it for granted. You know, I was I was just so kind of freaked out and just on edge about classes. And uh, I made it on one of the journals. And I don't mm. know. I mean, I, I, I think I tend to magnify things so much more than they really are. You know, just like, wow, this is so heavy. But, you know, looking back, this wasn't bad at all. I should have loosened up a little bit. So I, I think you <laughs> had the right attitude. But, Angela, it wasn't until later. Uh, that you and I actually became friends, and then much later, I didn't. I don't think even in law school, I didn't know about your your background in music, and right. uh, it wasn't until it's funny we had this path where after law school we kind of went separate ways. You went to go work uh, for the Justice Department. I went to go work for a law firm. I right. don't know if you remember this. It was I think right before or right after we passed the bar exam where we got our bar results. I think you and I met up for lunch and right. you and I were just like so miserable. It was like yeah. the low point yeah. of both of us. We were just like, oh my gosh. And in fact, I think I think I even half joked with you. It's like, if I fail the bar exam, so I think it was before, if I fail the bar exam, I'm just going to quit my job and become like a truck driver or something. I was just so unhappy in that first year out of yeah. law school. I, I I think we actually had made that pack together. That <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go to truck driving school and yeah, right. just, you know, I, I I think when you're in that state where you're just so unhappy, and for us it was like different reasons for being unhappy because we were in two different work environments. But I just remember right. like I would do the slow walk to the metro, and I would see like the guy driving the recycling truck, and I was like, he right. looks happier than I do. I think I want to do what he does. Right? It's just, <laughs> It's terrible. I remember one time it was pouring rain. I only had a five-minute walk to the metro. I'm like, right. okay, maybe I won't go in today. <laughs> call in because of the rain. Yeah, call in because of rain. And it's it's funny. It was I mean, you and I had said such a windy path. I mean, I ended up leaving practice, full-time practice. I went to work for Fortune 500 company, which I eventually recruited you to join. And and then that's right. I think that was the time where I started to really like get to know you a little bit more. And then, you know, I think you were uh, at the time just getting into music again, or had you been out of music or had you always been, uh, you know, playing in bands and and stuff like that? Well, I had always been, and I kind of get into that in the book, but when I went to, you know, college and law school, I really changed my focus entirely to education. And I was still a fan of things, but I wasn't really actively, you know, making and, and creating. And then as soon as I finished law school, that's when I decided to, to, to get back into a, into a band. And I think that's probably what, what you're, uh, you're leading towards here. Yeah. Well, I'll, actually, I, I wanted to ask you, and I've been meaning to ask you this. So, uh, and in your book, by the way, I, I just have to to give a big shout out. You know, obviously I'm biased. I'm uh, I'm your friend, but also objectively speaking, it's a great book. It's uh, thank you. I'm, I'm a professional metalhead. I'm blown away by the fact that you you wrote it, you you polished it, you made a great book, and you released it. What in what six seven months? I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll have it linked in the write up. But I wanted to ask you this. So. 
you have a long history with music. I mean, all the yeah. way back to your childhood, as as you talk about in the book. So right. was there ever a point at which you you wanted to pursue music as a career? Like, were you thinking about, because uh, you went a very, very kind of traditional career route with undergrad and then law school. And in fact, if I remember correctly, you were in a program at your your college, which would mm-hmm. allow you to go directly into law school, I think after your third year, wasn't that? Uh, the yep. deal, yeah, yeah. It was. Yes, I, have I, went, a, I have yeah. a crazy memory. I remember things like that. I don't <laughs> that remember what just... happened yesterday, but I can remember <laughs> details like that. You do remember that, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was it, uh, basically it was called a joint degree program. So you got your undergrad degree, and then at the same time, you know, right out of high school, I was already basically accepted into law school up in New York State, and the the deal was once I completed that first year of law school, I would receive my undergrad diploma. Wow. So. It was like um, a twofer, basically. Right, and then and but then after that point, as soon as I kind of got that, that's when I made the transfer to Georgetown because yeah. I had done well during my first year of law school. Up, so what up did you what State. did you major in in college? What was your undergraduate studies? I was uh, economics. Really, yeah, I think economics. I vaguely remember that. So what made you decide not to pursue a music major or pursue music academically when you went to school? Well. You know, I, I did take a few music classes and I did like that, but I, I really didn't want to become a music academic. Uh, you know, the the extent of what my involvement in the music industry at that point in my life was I wanted to just be a rock star. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you know, really and economics is like a great pathway for that, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of like economics majors yeah, go into so, a rock. So tell program. me, like, when you're at that age, like seventeen, eighteen, you're you're going mm-hmm. to college. And and as you talk about in your book, you've played in bands since yep. uh, junior high and high school. Yep. So were you continuing to do that in college? Uh, where did you kind of push that to the side a little bit? I put that to the side. I, you know, I would I would jam with people every once in a while, but nothing that I would call uh, you know on a regular basis at all. It wasn't until like literally I I got. I graduated law school and I said, okay, I'm going to get back into playing in a band. Interesting. Interesting. And also you, if I remember from the book, you were a DJ uh, for a radio station, were you not? Yes. Yes. What that, and, and that was in college. So that was kind of my, my bigger, that's where I started or I maintained my connection to, to the latest music and, and getting into new stuff because I was part of the college radio station. So I was constantly exposed to new music and able to play what I want. And, uh, and you know, play it for other people and get their reaction to it. You know, my my favorite one of my favorite stories from the book is uh-huh. uh, that you talk about there. There's this box where <laughs> bands and record labels and music agents would be sending in uh, CDs uh, from all over the country, and right. like in the hopes. I mean, it, that's the way they did it back then, right? In the '90s, mm-hmm. where it's like you want to get as much exposure on the radio waves uh, as you can, so you blitz out these CDs that you send to as many radio stations, including, I guess, college radio stations. And there's yeah. like a pile, right? A lot of these don't make it into the into the playlist or whatever. And they just kind of sit there. And then uh, I think, was it your manager who said, like, you could take whatever you want from the pile? Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe it because it was <laughs> it's uh, like a treasure trove, right? It, especially back, like, if you, if, you, as, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s and had to buy music, physical, you yeah, know, uh, I, I media, grew up in that era too. You, you appreciated like how much things cost and how much you had to spend and that you couldn't, it wasn't like Spotify today where you could go and listen to five out new albums in a day and not have to pay a thing. You know, you'd have to save up for that. So to kind of have that situation where 
all those albums are sitting in front of you for free to have, and there's no strings tied to it at all. It was insane. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I actually, it's one of the stories I really enjoyed from the book. So, so let's talk about the book. So, uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I, I really want to unpack here is, uh, mm-hmm. so what made you decide to even write a book? I mean, is this something you'd been thinking about? Is this a, a bucket list item? I know a lot of people have it on their bucket list to write a book. What made you decide, hey, you know what, I want to write a book? And also, what made you decide to write on this particular topic or this area in your life? Sure. Um, it, it was never a bucket list item. You know, I started 2019 and had no intention to write a book. But um, actually, it was the, the Moving Forward podcast I was listening to. Uh, and I, and, and it, you had this series last year on, on writing a book. And I was just listening to it for entertainment value at first. But then I started to realize I have all these interesting stories, um, which, you know, you, you reference a few in, in the book that I that I tell through the years. And my 18 year old, she's always been saying, oh, you should write a book. And I, I, I said, I'll write a book when there's actually a good story to tell. Yeah. And um, the more I started thinking about it, that's how I kind of came up with the idea that, oh, you know, what? I'm going to give it a shot. And I spent about a month or so just brainstorming to see, do I have enough content to write a book? Because the if I, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it right. I didn't want to just have, you know, a few little stories and basically make a, you know, a collection of short stories. I wanted you, a book. You know, it's so funny. I think that is one of the biggest fears of people in writing a book. Do I have enough to write on? Right, right. I, I, I just find that interesting that that's kind of a recurring theme with a lot of people. It's like, do I have enough content? Do I have enough stories to tell to fill a book? But you clearly did. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's one thing to think about. It's another thing to actually do it. And I, I, I wanted to ask because... I love kind of the process you used. I mean, like, can you share a little bit of uh, what were your steps? Like, what did you do day to day? You're a pretty busy guy. I mean, you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You uh, you have a family. You've got all these responsibilities. And I know that writing a book can be very daunting. It can just seem like something that just like, I just don't have the time. How did you manage it? Um. Because I, well, I think I managed it because I really enjoyed doing it. Literally every step, there was never a time where I, I was just miserable and I had to force myself to write something. So, uh, you know, these are like I said, these are stories that I've kind of told or or, or experienced, and I and I and I like to tell because I'm, I'm a fairly introverted person. So, I'm not the type who will start telling you stories and keep talking to you until you you know want to leave. Uh, so this gave me a great opportunity to get those stories out there. But, but my process. It, it was very. It followed very closely what the book uh, writing miniseries was, which is you know uh, about a month of brainstorming in a little journal that I kept, mm-hmm. you know, literally handwriting things, and then a lot of, um, uh, I guess, uh, I would basically talk to myself and and have the uh, Google Voice going, and it would just record everything I was saying just to see if I had enough stories yeah. uh, and, and I use I, I the funny thing is I, I I use that to come up with the outline but I used literally none of that content that was <laughs> saved because it was it was so poor but it but it helped it gave me the confidence to realize that there was enough I, it's and something then I about just yeah, kind of like yeah. dumping all the stuff from your brain right mm-hmm. it's just like that that process alone is just really helpful and but what what it also helped me do was to organize those thoughts and to start to see a theme because what I didn't want to do was to make this just a name dropping story where I'm just going to throw the names of every rock star I've ever met and all the bands I've played with and all the things I've done. I wanted to have a theme that tied it all together and that really gave me the opportunity to speak the stories look at how everything kind of falls into place and then put something together. And that's at that point, that's where I said, okay, 
now I could write a book because I know I have a theme. I even came up with the title like way back then. This wasn't a title I came up with at the last minute. It's um, it was it was it felt perfect for the story that it was going to be telling. You know, I was going to ask you that where you came up with the title. I am a professional metalhead. Was that is that a phrase you've always been using throughout or was it something that kind of came to you early on in the writing process? Like, where did that come from? It was definitely early on in the writing process. And it was each word is pretty important to that because uh, I know some people have said I'm, but I, I wanted to make it clear like I am, like I'm coming out as as a metalhead, right? I'm, yeah. I'm letting everyone in my profession know because it's there's a there's a certain stigma that's tied to listening to heavy metal. You know, I didn't even know that. You know, as as right. someone who is not a, a metalhead, and you know, I I can appreciate all kinds of music. I you know, I'm not a, a heavy metal listener, but. I was surprised when I read that in the book that there is a stigma towards people who are fans of heavy metal. I was actually genuinely surprised to hear that. Yeah, it's a. The funny thing is that since the book has come out, you know, I've I've had some professionals I work with reach out to, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I saw a guy walking." in you know uh, with his kids today and he, he had a hit on one of those heavy metal shirts and at first i thought oh what's his problem and then i realized oh he's probably just a normal guy like angelo <laughs> so that's, that's awesome i know i and and th- that's one of the cool things about the book is that you you talk about how not only you know being a metalhead has influenced your passion for music and and you play guitar and you've played mm-hmm. in a lot of bands but also just how it's uh, impacted some of the decisions you've made in your life i i was wondering actually share you know and you know if you want to refer to something in the book or something not in the book like can you share one of the ways in which you know being a metalhead has uh helped you you know in life or in your career a particular situation or circumstance sure i think that uh one of the big themes that's carried throughout the book is is deciding things for yourself and and not really uh listening to what what everyone else has to say about something it's it's exploring it's reaching your own conclusions and i think that for me you know as the story goes in the book i was stuck with listening to a certain type of music for a long time and i I didn't want to listen to anything else because i thought I thought that it wasn't something I would like, and I, and I never gave it a chance. Um, and then I came to find that, oh, wow, actually, I do like really, really heavy music, and I do like screaming and things like that. Uh, <laughs> and the the comparison that I made, or the I guess the analogy that I made, was it, it's similar to my experience with law. When we were in law school, like when we were at Georgetown Law, you and I, I didn't take any intellectual property courses. That sounded like the most boring thing in the world. Like, who wants to talk about trademarks and copyrights and patents? It sounds horribly boring. And now, you know, I'm an in-house counsel for a software company where copyright is critical. Patents are so important. Trademarks everyone cares about. And I love it. Wow. (laughs) Makes you kind of wish you took some of those classes back then. Or, uh, Or did you have more fun kind of learning it on your own along the way? You know, I think that it probably would have been good to take some of those classes back then and give at least give them a shot before just deciding it wasn't something that interested me. Yeah. At this point, I've got to ask you, we're at the 20 minute mark, but I'm having a fun time. How about you? Yes, definitely. Yeah, let's keep going because I, I like yeah. this conversation. One of the things I loved about the book, and and I've been saying this over and over in my head, is this, this mantra of metal comfort zone, MCZ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ex- and rather than have me explain what it is, why don't you share what that is and you know how you came up with this concept? 
Sure. It's a concept that I came up with because um, the reason I came up with it is because I, I do run into other metalheads from time to time. And then what I find is that everyone likes different types of metal. They like different subgenres of metal because a lot of people don't realize this. It's not just heavy metal. There's like a hundred different yeah, types of subgenres underneath. Another thing I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just my, and, my ignorance of metal is just like a tremendous Angela. So this book was a great primer. That's for me. good. I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> but, uh, but, but so what I found though, is as, as I talked to some of these metalheads, you know, you know, some of them that were my contemporaries that grew up when I did in the eighties and nineties, they love that music and that's all they love. And they still identify as being a metalhead, but they don't really like the new stuff. They don't like the screaming. They don't like the syncopated sounds of uh, things like gent metal and things like that. So I said, well, you know, how how do we balance this out, and or how do we explain why why was I able to get into this other stuff and they wouldn't? So I came up with this concept that's called the metal comfort zone or the MCZ. And what it essentially is, is it's basically just a way to identify to other people what type of metalhead you are, what type of metal you like. And the way that you kind of grow that is by stepping beyond it and challenging yourself to listen to other types of metal. And you might like some things and pull them into your metal comfort zone, but others aren't there. So, you know, for me, my, I have a pretty broad metal comfort zone. But for someone who maybe grew up in the 80s and just loves that music and loves the glam metal that time, their metal comfort zone is just classic metal and glam metal. Um, so it's, it, it, it's a way that we could kind of I, understand why one of us likes one thing and the other doesn't but but the other thing that i really love is that you tie that into your career too because you, you're not just a lawyer you're just you're not just a musician you've done everything from guitar sales to mobile app development and tech i mean uh, you know you're kind of like me you're, you're just a career wanderlust except you know you're really good at it <laughs> and i'm still just trying to figure it out but uh Tell me kind of like, was that the concept? To me, that's what I got out of the metal comfort zone was that you, you really just kind of stepped out of your comfort zone in a lot mm -hmm. of the decisions you've made. You know, you, And I love how you talk about this in the book. You know, you one, one time you stepped away from practicing law to go uh, sell guitars. And right. other times, you know, you've taken decisions, you've taken career decisions, and sometimes you might take lower pay. Sometimes it may be seen as, uh, you know, as taking a step down from certain people. But in the long run, it's really benefited you and allowed you to kind of build up to where you are today. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, and that's definitely the case, you know, with every kind of career move, it's, it's, there's, there's been a step back for, uh, for most of them. Um, but it's really kind of a step back. So that way I could really leap forward and really, really bounce, bounce well beyond where I was before that point. So it's, uh, but it's all, it's always usually characterized by me stepping into a role that has, a lot of unfamiliarity to it um and it allows me to use some of my transferable skills but more importantly it really challenges me to evolve um other skills that that i might not have ever really used before you know things like copyright licensing and, and things like that yeah no it's it's really cool and the other thing i want to point out and this is just from my perspective is that your book isn't just geared or aimed at people who are fans of metal music or even, you know, music in general. I think right. it's interesting. You took an interesting niche. You took metal. You took your love of metal mm -hmm. and the stories in your life. But you've also uh, touched on some broader themes about your career, where you want to take it, how you want to take it, the different choices you make in life. That's what I really liked about it. So as, as a non-metal head... I could appreciate everything you were talking about, even if I didn't know all the bands, even if I didn't know all the songs. 
I could understand through the the parable of metal uh, your life story, mm-hmm. and that's the part that right. I really that resonated with me. Well, I'm I'm glad you say that because you know that was for me that was the riskiest part of this yeah. book, right? Because I I knew that a metal audience is always loyal to metal, so I knew that they would like some parts of it. Um, for, but for me, the biggest challenge and the why it was why this is, this was almost like a coming out was because I would be putting out to the professional worlds, you know, the, all the career minded individuals who I know, who I know or who I'm colleagues with that I like this type of music and to see kind of what their reaction was. And I think that what has really surprised me is that it has really taken off there. There's a lot of people who said, you know, I've read the book and I'm starting to like reconsider my job or wow. am I being challenged? Should, should I be taking another step? Should I be stepping out of, you know, their metal comfort zone, right? I think this is a concept. Have you trademarked it yet? You really should. If you haven't, <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. you know, my, my, my wife was quoting from the book when she's like, you should trademark it. That's you know, awesome. I, I, think, I think one of the, ch- the chapter titles is like shame, shame, shame. Should have <laughs> trademarked that name. She was, she was quoting that one to me. Throwing it right back at you, man. That's what happens when you yeah. write a book. People start throwing right. that back at you i love it that is so cool i love stories like that i love the fact that you know you had all these stories you put it out there by the way i I do have to ask you this how scary was it to to publish this book i mean was it was did you have any of that kind of like 11th hour jitters about putting this out there oh yeah i mean absolutely like the the, i remember the morning that I kind of uh, made the official announcement on LinkedIn, and I was just like, "Oh gosh, like, is this is this going to be the is it, is no one going to is am I, am I going to get two likes or or is this going to just kill my career?" And it's, I'm glad I took it's the, so I, funny I took because the like every time you and I think this is a recurring theme. Also, it's like when you try to do something that I'll use your phrase, step out of your metal comfort zone. Right, like the parade of horribles start raining in your head, right? Like, is no one going to read this, or are people going to hate this, or am I going to get fired from my job? I mean, I think it's interesting that that's our first thought, right? Like, we 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 automatically gravitate towards the negative, and I think it's just kind of that defensive reaction. Like, I'm I'm when you push yourself out of your comfort zone, you're always prone to thinking about that. I agree. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, Angel, I I do want to ask you, um, Cobra Kai. Yes. <laughs> All right. I, I would be remiss if I did not mention Cobra Kai on this uh, on this show. You and I uh, have become huge fans of Cobra Kai. So yes. uh, are you excited about season three? Really excited about it. In fact, I just watched rewatched season one this weekend. Yeah. And, and what do you think <laughs> on the ne- on the second viewing? Oh, it's it's still so good. It's you know I'll, I'll tie it to the book. I mean, there's clearly you know uh, a challenge with um, sequels nowadays, and 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 trying to make things interesting um, or even better than the original, and it, yeah. it usually fails. And this is one of those cases where they came up with a story that. You know, you mention it to people and they're like, eh, I don't know if it's good. But then you say, you start explaining to them, they're like, oh, that actually sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Like that's, that's not your normal way to kind of carry on a story. Like no, no one would have ever thought let's, let's do this story like this. And I, I think that's why it's, it's so good. And it's so much fun to watch. Also, it's just like, it's so at the same time, it's so true to the original lore. And that's the part that mm-hmm. I love about it is like, that is not an easy balance to strike between having respect for the source material and yet going in a new direction and introducing new characters while, you know, balancing the old. I, I actually love that part about it. And it's just like, that is, I, I think a masterclass in, in sequels and storytelling. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that you, the the only other time I could think that something like that has happened is the um, I don't know if it's a Disney movie, but Maleficent. You know, oh, okay. where you're, I haven't you're, seen you're, but you're you're seeing the story from the side of the quote unquote bad guy. Yeah. Right? And and that's kind of what this is. And all of a sudden you start to get this other perspective um, and kind of appreciation for maybe why they are the way they are or why they acted the way they did at a certain point in time. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Angela, I'm going to uh, I'm going to ask you just one last question. So what are you reading these yeah. days? Um, let's see. I just finished. Let's see. I'm always reading new stuff, but there's actually a really good trilogy that I read. Um, that's actually a metal trilogy. Oh yeah. Uh, there's an author out of the UK named Catherine Fearns. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think she interviewed you on her blog, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, uh, so she wrote this, she wrote these books that have this awesome tie into metal and it's, it's not like a metal fan fiction or anything, but there's a really, there's, it's just, it's they're really well written. They're fun reads. Um, if you like thrillers, um, and, it, and it's available on, on uh, Kindle unlimited too. So if you have oh, that, nice. that's a, a great, great way to check it out. But I really enjoyed those, uh, that, like I said, it was a trilogy and I read it like within a couple of weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, what, what's the name of the trilogy? Um, reprobation. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we yeah, will have yeah. it linked in the write-up. So moving forward, listeners, the uh, write-up for this episode is at bemovingforward.com. Angela, where can people find your book? Where can they find you on the interwebs? All that good stuff. Sure. Probably the the central place for everything is the website. I am a professional metalhead.com and that has links to my LinkedIn, to Instagram, to Facebook. Uh, it's got a blog, it's got a mailing list, uh, and then also all my other media appearances there. Awesome. And uh, we're speaking today with Angelo Spinello, my good friend. He's an attorney. He's a metalhead. He is the author of I Am a Professional Metalhead. And also, I need to mention, you've got a really cool Spotify playlist that goes with the book. That Yes, that's true. You know that. I think uh, a reviewer recently picked up on that, that there, there is actually a playlist that you could listen to that's timed to the book. So you could kind of hear my musical progression um, through my life and my career. Awesome. Literally, literally listen to it while you're reading. Yeah, no, I actually listened to it after I finished the book. So you actually got me to listen to metal, which is not an <laughs> easy thing to do. So that, that I mean, that in itself was uh, kudos to you. So we'll have all of that linked in the write-up. Angela, thank you so much. Congratulations on all the success with the book and your success in general. Really appreciate you taking the time to hop on a, hop on a podcast with me today. Absolutely. Thanks so much, John.